Hey listeners, we are Frontline Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You are about to listen to a sermon from a Sunday gathering at our downtown OKC location. We pray that it moves you towards the power and presence of Christ and calls you to love God, love people, and push back darkness. Please visit FrontlineChurch.com for more information. Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. The word of God speaks to us. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who from you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is God's word to us. Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm Corey Fahrenkamp. I'm a pastor here. And uh, if you're a visitor here with us, uh, thanks for visiting on, on New Year's Eve and, and running with us on this, on this uh, challenging teaching. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the text. So if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a Bible that are in the, the windowsills on the side. And then that's our gift to you if you don't have one at your house. But let's pray and jump into this. Father, I thank you that you bless us with your spirit this morning, that you meet us here as we gather in your name. And what I ask you, Father, is that you recapture our hearts for what it means to be your children and the calling and the opportunity to walk alongside with you, empowering us to be and participate uh, in your love to this world. What a high calling, Father. So, Father, I ask that this morning um, you would teach us your word. Spirit, open our hearts empower us to understand this and to apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, this, uh, as we move into the new year, this is a great time for us to stop and re-cage what it means to be a Christian, our calling as Christians. Uh, Re-caging is an aviation term that is used um, to, to describe the act of taking your attitude indicator. Your attitude indicator is what tells you if you're going up or down or banking to the right or banking to the left and, and re, re-centering that and re-leveling that with the horizon when you're in straight and level flight. Now, if, if you're flying an aircraft and it's a clear day and you're just flying straight and level, you don't really need an attitude indicator. You could see the horizon, you know if you're descending or if you're climbing and everything seems like it's normal. But if you don't re-cage that attitude indicator, then over time what could happen is it could drift. 
And even though you're flying straight and level, it could start to say that you're climbing or you're turning a little bit left. But you don't even look at that as long as you could see out the aircraft and you could see your horizon and it's fine. The problem is that sometimes when you come into weather, you get a visibility of zero and now you can't see the horizon anymore and you get disoriented in your mind and you need that attitude indicator and you need to look and know, am I flying straight and level or is my nose and my aircraft pointed 30 degrees down? Those two things are completely different. And what we see is that difficult relationships in our life are actually a lot like that. They're difficult to navigate and when we need um, God's word and God's direction the most, um, we need to be able to look and recenter and know what our calling is. So this is actually what Jesus is teaching us this morning. What does real Christianity look like inside relationships? Like when the rubber hits the road and I'm interacting with the people that are difficult in my life, what does Christianity look like? And we come to markers in our culture, markers that cause us to look back over a time period of what we've done and say like what things went well and then look forward and make goals and then figure out our calendars and, and orient ourselves around what we're going to do different. Like New Year's Eve is exactly that marker in our culture. There's people, thousands of people that are here in Oklahoma and across the United States that are thinking about New Year's resolutions, they're thinking about goals, and now is a perfect time for us to recage our hearts on this selfless love that the Father has for us and the mission that we have to love others with that same love. And I also want to tell us that like any other goal or resolution that we make for this next New Year's that doesn't lead to us become more loving like our Father and a more loving presence in this world is probably not really worthy of our time. So this is a perfect time to recage our hearts on what the Father's love looks like for us. Now, Jesus has things to say in this text, as we already read, that are wildly challenging, they're prophetic in our time, and they're immensely practical. So let's, let's just like take the three things that, um, that three types of enemies that he's going to talk about, and then he's going to talk about three ways that we love those enemies and then at the end, we're going to talk about our opportunity to walk alongside our Father as he, as he teaches us these things. So let's just jump into it. Loving our enemies with uh, the way God loves them is to love them with good deeds, words of blessing, and prayer. And let's turn to the text in uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 29, and see what Jesus says here. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. It's really important that I, I make a ex, like a, uh, that, that we that we say something and emphasize something from the outset here. As Martin Luther said on this text when he preached on it, I'm sure he preached this text a few times, but one of the sermons that I read, Christ is saying nothing in this sermon about how to become Christians, but only about the works and fruit that no one can do unless he is a Christian and in a state of grace. So in nowhere in this sermon am I trying to say that if you love like this, then you can become a Christian. Jesus is assuming the new birth when he's talking to these people. He's talking to his disciples. So it's easy for us to miss the, for the forest here through the trees. The forest or the main point of this teaching is that we need to be radically generous 
and loving to people like our Father is. And um, that is actually a love in this world that people don't see. It's way different than what we see um, in the natural world. Not seeking vengeance, but to love our enemies like God does. The trees are all the individual teachings that Jesus has. Like, uh, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other. When we focus on these trees and we lose the forest, what ends up happening is we fall into one of two ditches. There's people in here that'll focus on the trees and lose the forest, and you're thinking, just tell me what I need to do. Like, give me a one-for-one checklist. When this thing happens, how do I react? That's not what Jesus is doing here. And then there are others that by default, what they want me to say is, Jesus is not really saying, and then fill in the blank so that you feel like you're justified in in giving somebody something that they deserve. Uh, Jesus is saying that the way that he's describing love is, should be the default position that Christians, uh, how Christians love, and we should be radically generous and loving in this world. He's not trying to give us a one-for-one checklist, and he's not trying to let us off the hook. He also wants us to understand something here that, that we need to set out from the beginning as we, before we move from the forest to talk about these individual trees that he's not trying, Jesus is not trying to perpetuate destructive and irresponsible behavior which encourages evil. But he wants us to be like our father that acts out of absolute, undeserved love and is, as Keller called it, promiscuously generous. Now I wanna talk about just a few of these things, a few examples of what I'm talking about with perpetuating evil and destructive behavior that Jesus is not talking about here. When he speaks of praying for those that abuse you, Jesus is not saying that if somebody's abusing you, you need to stay in an abusive relationship. If you're in an abusive relationship, you need to get out of that abusive relationship and pray for that person. When Jesus says to give to everyone who begs from you, he's not saying that you need to give a loaded gun to a raging man if he asks you for it. He's not saying that you need to give, give the keys to a man that's drunk so he can drive home. Um, when he says to offer the other cheek to somebody, what Jesus is not saying is if somebody's pounding your face and you need to just let them do it. And he's also not saying that if a man is abusing a woman or a child that you need to just let them do it. And he's not talking here about the way that governments should act with each other or with their people. When he says not to withhold your tunic from a man that takes your cloak, he's not saying to give your bank account to somebody that's stealing something from you. When he says, as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, he is not saying, if you were robbing somebody, how would you want them to treat you? Now, now that like, that's the forest, let's move into the individual trees. The first tree that we're gonna talk about, the first enemy that Jesus d- describes is those that oppose us. Let's look back at 27 through 29. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Hate, curse, and abuse include both people that wish bad things for you and people that are actually doing bad things to you. He's not saying that you need to muster up some type of warm, emotional love or a feeling for this person, but rather he's saying that we should be loving to these people or 
uh, treat these people like we like them, even when they're not likable. And this is where we come to a limitation in the English language and why our English language is actually kind of lame and maybe in 1776 we should have just invented a new one. When we say the word love, right, I use that word love to describe my relationship with pizza and then I also describe, I use that word love to describe the relationship with my wife. Right? I obviously mean two totally different things. Right? And this, this type of love that we're talking about is agape love. That's the Greek word that's used. It's one out of four Greek words for love, which means a sacrificial love that God demonstrates for us that's not necessarily emotional. So doing good when we're struck on one cheek, here's the crazy part. He's not saying just don't strike back. He's saying, offer them the other cheek. And what Jesus is talking about here is one of the worst insults in the East, which would be like a backhand smack to the face. It's disrespectful, and, and, and it's, it's striking on one cheek. And I want to be really clear that there has never been a man that walked the face of this earth with more strength or more firepower on his side than Jesus, right? Jesus is the one that said, like, I can call down legions of angels to come down, right? So Jesus is not calling for the child of God to be weak. This isn't a call to be weak. This is instead a call to be immensely strong. There's no virtue in turning the other cheek because you don't have the strength to retaliate. Jesus had the strength to retaliate. Jesus could have called legions of angels down, like we said, but it took real strength for him to turn the other cheek and then allow them to continue to strike that cheek until they were done on the day of the cross. Now, God's children, I want you to think about this, God's children should be the most difficult people to offend on this planet. God's children should be the most difficult people to offend. When you are offended in a relationship, do you retaliate back? Let's take it one step further. When you are offended in a relationship, do you do something better and just not retaliate? But that's not even what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is when you're offended in a relationship, do you actually give the other cheek, stay in relationship and forgive? We're also called to love people by speaking words of blessing to them. This, this is actually one of the hardest things that Jesus says in this text. When people curse you, we're not just to bite our tongue, but we're to actually speak blessings back over them and to them. Wish the best for them. Call out good character traits that we see in them without flattery. Uh, this is kind of funny. The, the, the first uh, Western Pacific deployment that I went on was during the North Korean missile crisis when, when Twitter, uh, when tweets were flying back and forth between world leaders. And our motto for our, our deployment was ready for when Twitter fingers turn into trigger fingers. And, uh, and that's, that's actually true. That's actually what happens, right? That's what we do. We, we retaliate something that's said hateful and a curse to us, we retaliate back to them. And what happens is we escalate the situation to make it worse. It keeps perpetuating and getting worse. That's what we actually saw in that case among world leaders. But love blesses in return and actually is the source of making peace. Sometimes when we're cursed, we're cursed because we uh, actually have done something wrong. We've said something wrong or we've done something wrong in the relationship. 
The call for us is not then to just bless and speak words of blessing to somebody. The call for us then is to actually repent, ask for forgiveness, and confess. But there are times that Jesus talks about in, in this text where we are cursed and we are spoken ill of because of our allegiance to Jesus and our prophetic stance that we take in a world when we say no to things that the world says yes to and we say yes to things that the world says no to. And in those times when we bless in return, Jesus says that we have a great reward in heaven. Many of the times that we actually receive cursings and people speaking bad about us is just because they have bad motives. We need to bless them in return and expect a reward in heaven. Now, I want to stop here because it sounds so trite to just say, I'll just bless them in return. But I want us to think, like, you should be saying, like I'm saying in my heart, you don't know what it feels like when that person says that thing, right? The anger and the hurt that I have when that person says that thing to me. Um, you don't know what they say to me. But Jesus is saying the way that I, that, I, that I have the strength to speak a blessing over that person like, like the Lord wants me to is what I do is I look to the reward that I have in heaven of my, of my father speaking well of me and blessing me. Verse 22 says, rejoice when people spurn your name as evil. Your reward is very great. So listen, like your father sees every single moment of people speaking bad things to you. And when you stop and you bless in return, he speaks blessings over you. So you could be satisfied in receiving good word from men, right? Or you could be satisfied in receiving the blessing and good words of your father. We need to pray for people as well, not just to speak blessings over them, but we need to pray for people as well. Pray for our enemies. What would our response to our enemies look like if we went to God in prayer every time before we responded to our enemy that spoke bad of us or struck us on the cheek? If we ask God to remind us of the mercy and the grace that he had on us first before we went back and responded to them. And we want to be people that if we do obey this, we're like a one and done people. Like somebody says something bad to me, somebody insults me. So I go to the Lord, I say a prayer in, Je in Jesus' name, amen, I did it. But I think what Jesus is saying here is every time that hurt comes back up, say another prayer. Pray for that person. Continue to pray for that person until what you find is the Father starts to transform your love to be like his for that person. It's difficult. It's really difficult to act in vengeance toward a person when you're actively praying for that person. And let's not forget, like, the power of God has and can transform an enemy into a friend. Many times that doesn't happen because we don't ask. So why not ask? Diedrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship said, through the medium of prayer... We go to the enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. That's what we need to be doing. So who are the people in your life that hate you and oppose you? Trust in the fact that the vengeance belongs to God and you don't have to retaliate. God sees God's the perfect judge. He knows all things. And not only does he see all things, and see all wrongs, but he doesn't waste any of them either. And 
our God's a God that's good at telling long stories. Think of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Like years went by, his brothers debating killing him. Instead, they decide to sell him into slavery. He's falsely accused and he goes to prison. Like all these crazy things happen. And years later, he's reunited with the brothers that hurt him. And, and, uh, and he blesses them. And you see the purposes of God over that, over that big arching story. God tells long stories. Stop and think. If the pain of the spikes being driven into Jesus's hands at the hands of the people that he came to save when he was being crucified were not enough for him to stop praying for his enemies while he was being crucified when he was saying, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. What pain, hater words against our enemies are keeping us from praying to them and praying for God to them? We need to be radically generous with those that are less fortunate to us. That's the next enemy that Jesus talks about. Those that are less fortunate than us, be radically generous, verses 29 through 31. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. We see two, uh, two words here, take and beg. I noticed like over this, beg sounds funny, beg. Um, take and beg. Those are, those are synonyms. They're synonyms. They're talking about the same thing. Jesus is not talking about somebody that's stealing something. He's talking about somebody that needs something. And we need to be people that are desperately concerned. What Jesus is talking about this, this, uh, this generosity, people that are desperately concerned with those that have less than we do and live on the margins. We need to be the people that actually put ourselves in those shoes. Like, let their situation, try to feel what their situation's like and let it break our heart. Like, think, what must it feel like? So Jesus told this story of someone in need. A man going down from Jerusalem to, Je to Jericho, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend... I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, in this story, the Samaritans and the Jews are like bitter enemies, longtime enemies. And this man, the Samaritan, if he's journeying in Jerusalem, had probably traveled there many other times and had likely come across bad interactions with other Jewish people. And so this man would, be, man would be considered an enemy. And this man in this story isn't told to must up, muster up some type of warm emotional feeling, but what he does is he has compassion. He puts himself in the other man's shoes, and then what he does is he goes and he meets this man's needs. 
This is actually a description of God's agape love for us, how we need to be with others. He treated him with the love that the Father has for us. So remember that that Jesus here is not talking about a one-for-one checklist, right? Like we said, he's not talking about if somebody does this, then you need to do this. He's talking about being radically generous. There are times when somebody begs from you that you need to give to them, and then there's other times where it's actually more loving to not give to them. But the charge of Jesus is deeper than this. He's talking about a radical type of generosity that gives not just the outer outer cloak, but also the inner And I don't want to miss this point that when I see hurt in the world and I feel like I'm looking at it and I'm saying, like, what can I do? Um, This is like a call to be a part of the body of Christ, right? What I can't do individually, we can do together. So radical generosity should also be displayed in our church. Like our church actually... uh, kept 100 families from being evicted from their homes this year. I couldn't have done that on my own. You know, so this church, yeah, it's good. Give a round of applause for that. Uh, This church actually had over $250,000 go out to meet the needs of other people. I couldn't have done that individually. But when I was generous to this church, the money that I gave to this church went out to go do that, and I became part of the mission of God doing that exact same thing. So we need to give to the church and we need to give to those in need. We need to be radically generous people. All right, so let's also look at this last one. This one's a little bit harder to find that we, uh, this last group of enemies, those that are um, indifferent to us and ungrateful. Jesus calls these ungrateful and evil people. And these are the people that when he says, "What, what good is it to you if you only love those that love you back, right? So Jesus is talking about the people that you love that don't love you back. The people that you do good to that don't reciprocate by doing something good to you in verses 32 through 35. So this is actually the group of enemies that we experience most of the time. We experience them at work. We experience them inside of our families. Um, And uh, this is actually a group that, if you think about it, I'm just gonna put in some practical terms. When you've worked that 10-hour shift and it's that guy that continually shows up like 15 minutes late, like that 15 minutes feels like three hours right? Do you only act lovingly to the people who show up 15 minutes early, or do you show love to that person too? The guy who cuts you off in traffic, do you share the road with those people that are unkind also, or do you get right on the back of them and kind of right on the back? The people who receive gifts without, without saying thank you. And this is the big one. This is the big one in our time. The people that disagree with us, the people that don't run in our groups, I'm talking about like theological views, political views, social views. Now, think about this. Why does God, who controls all things in the church, allow for Christians who receive the same Holy Spirit to think differently on views, on, on different theological points, or even different social points or, or political points? Is it possible that God actually values something more than us all just being right. That God loves, that God values love. That he wants us to be able to love those who disagree with us because that's actually how he loves us. He could just snap his fingers and have everybody think alike. But instead what he does, instead what God does, is he gives us an opportunity to participate with him in loving this world. 
being in communities of people who, even though they disagree, they love each other. We have a great opportunity. We have a great opportunity. The opportunity we have is as children of God the Father. We have opportunities to demonstrate a different type of love to the world. Look with me in verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Again, it can seem that like what Jesus is saying here is if we love like God, then we can become his children. But I want you to notice, he doesn't say become, he says you will be children of the Most High. Um, He's talking about when a son is called to be like his father. We would say like he's a chip off the old block or man, he looks just like his dad, right? The calling is to realize that He wants us to realize inside of this ethic of love what it means to be an adopted child of God and not how to become an adopted child of God. If you look with me at John uh, 1.12, which should be on the screen, those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we place our faith in Jesus... We are adopted by God the Father to be a son and daughter. This is the background of the entire way that the New Testament understands uh, what it's like to have a relationship with God. Adoption is permanent, it's unconditional, and it's a legal change to become God's child that shares not just an eternal life, but also in the intimacy of a relationship of a father with a child. The scandalous aspect of this adoption is that God adopts his enemies. He's kind to the ungrateful and evil enemies. And who who in this text are God's enemies? It's us. We don't want to believe that we are, and most of us wouldn't say that we are. And I'm not just saying that, like, we fall short of God's way of loving the world. Like, we don't love the world the way God did. What I'm saying is... We, have, um, we are the enemies in the text who God loves. We are ungrateful. We're evil. We are the ones that assume that God's holding out on us. And we rebel against God's authority. We are the ones that smack God on the cheek. A Christian is somebody who says, I was an enemy, but now I'm adopted. I was an enemy, but now I'm adopted. We're adopted enemies. So what a radical love that is. Um, On the cross, what we see is the love of God for his enemies most clearly, where Jesus is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. On the cross, we see him cursed, but still speaking blessing. On the cross, we see him being slaughtered, yet praying for those who are doing it. Understanding that Jesus is not saying, be like this because I'm like this. Jesus is saying, be like this because I'm like this for you. This opportunity that we have to be children of of the Most High where we love enemies, this opportunity is momentary. Since in heaven, we're going to have no enemies. So we've been graced with enemies in our lives as opportunities to demonstrate the love of God. But too many times what we do, like as we're looking this new year, 
we think of, and you can think of times that you, you spent with your family this last time, this, these last weeks too, that we think of the, these people that are these enemies or those that oppose us as, we think of them as like obstacles or problems. <laughs> but they're actually put in our lives as opportunities to demonstrate a type of love that I can't demonstrate if I don't have an enemy in my life. Right? So think of this life and the momentary opportunity we have to love enemies this momentary opportunity is like the vapor droplet. That's this time compared to the vast ocean of eternity. And you don't have a long time to do this. So it's a great opportunity. There are lies that we can believe about our enemies that will just absolutely smother and crush this love. One is that the death of Jesus is good to forgive my sins, but it's not good enough to forgive my enemy's sins. We believe that our sins could be forgiven, but God, I really want you to get him. The second thing that can really squash this is I need to get vengeance because God won't. Maybe God doesn't see. But the truth is that no sin goes unseen. God sees all of it. And he's patient, and we already talked about this, but he tells long stories. And the third one is, God doesn't care for me, so I have to care for myself. I need to take all this pain, and I need to carry it with me and keep on rehashing it and rethinking it. But the truth is, God sees, and God cares, and he wants to help you carry it and take it from you. Now, think about this. The people in this world, this is in closing, People in this world are looking for something good. That's what people are doing. They're looking for something good. Is there anything more prophetic that we could have in this world than to demonstrate to a world that says we champion love, but we only champion it as long as you agree with me? I, we only champion love as long as you love me back. But if you don't, right, then you're on the outside. If we don't, you're ignored. You're canceled, right? The church has an opportunity to demonstrate a type of love that God the Father has, this agape love that's so prophetic and so in the face of how they're talking about love. We actually have the opportunity to participate in the love of God in the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you bless us with an opportunity to be called a child of God and, and that this is a high calling and I'm reminded, Father, that, that uh, you don't call us to just go out and try to love the world like you do in our own power. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would equip us this next year. Spirit, would you, would you empower us to, to be the hands and feet uh, as a church? But I ask, also ask that you just capture our heart with what it means to be uh, radically loving like our Father's loving, that we, that we, that we would be risk-taking people that we would put ourselves out there um, and be willing to die to self and not seek vengeance. In Jesus' name, amen.